if I die, don't make a fan fiction movie about me, please. Absolutely not. Okay, but, like, it'd be worse if you could see it, right? <laughs> I mean, like, he specifically told him. Like, it wasn't like... Okay, if I said, Brooke, I'm making a fan fiction movie about you... Lindsay, if you were Paul Thomas Anderson, I wouldn't be your friend. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> listening to Film Kids Giant Squids. And other things that think they're deep. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Brooke. And this week we're talking about licorice pizza and Adventureland. It's the beginning of Oscar month, which I'm deeming people in their 20s make problematic choices. (laughs) For both? Yeah, I guess both. I wouldn't say a lot of things she did when she was like in her 20s being a mom were great. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) That'll make sense next episode. (laughs) And the other choice is dating a (laughs) 15-year-old. Not great. Yeah, apparently that's the theme of the Oscars this year. Having only seen two of the Best Picture nominees. God, I gotta watch more movies before the end of the month. (laughs) Do you know who else makes questionable choices? Even outside of their 20s? Film kids. (laughs) I mean, I was gonna go with people who listen to film kids, but also film kids. (laughs) (laughs) Both of them. (laughs) Everything involving film kids is questionable, but (laughs) we gotta talk about what the film kids are talking about in 127 Hours with a Film Kid. 127 Hours with a Film Kid. So we gotta talk about the Oscars yet again. Uh, I'm sure people are sick of it, but look, Oscars are coming and shit's happening about them, and so we're gonna talk about it. But, so, okay. Couple things talk about we didn't really mention it last episode but the oscars have announced a host or in this case hosts the first time ever there's going to be three hosts nice it's regina hall wanda sykes and amy schumer okay i'm glad there's other people despite me not knowing who they are because i just saw it was amy schumer and i was like ugh. i'm sure you know wanda sykes and regina hall you just might not yeah, know their name sounds familiar yeah. i don't know if you remember from that episode where i talked about the host and how important it is that the hosts have chemistry and an established these relationship these people have never worked or together they hate each other okay i was like are they sworn enemies that'd be amazing no they have never I, they might know each other because like obviously the comedy scene is there, pretty yeah. small you do meet each other and like i'm sure they know at least have interacted before but there is no like established oh these people have worked together they know each other they don't have that i don't necessarily know it's going to be as weird as the anne hathaway james franco year (laughs) purely because they are comedians so at least they have that like innate knowledge of comedic timing and they know how to like riff with someone react to a joke (laughs) yeah So uh, they have that going for them. But that's not really what we're going to talk about today. The next thing is the Oscars announced that not all categories will be aired live this year. Why? Was it because it was taking too long? Just have less banter. That's not why people are watching. (laughs) Uh, So the Oscars ratings have been dwindling past several years. Like last year was an all-time low for the Oscars. So they've been like not doing great. And so they've been like trying to come up with ways to appeal to more audiences, make it more fun, and like less quote-unquote long and boring. So eight honors instead are being awarded off-air like before the show, like while we're watching the red carpet footage that will have been recorded like an hour 
earlier instead of being live, that's when they will be awarding these eight awards and then that will like be announced on social media and then the show will start. The eight awards are going to be documentary short, film editing, makeup and hairstyling, original score, production design, animated short, live action short, and sound. Oh my god, those are like, I mean, not that any are like not important, but I feel like some of those are like big. Yeah. <laughs> At least like sound. <laughs> the other thing that happened last year was that sound editing and sound mixing, they used to be two separate categories before last year. And then last year was the first year they like combined them back into a single award just for best sound. And so last year they combined it and this year they're saying you're not even going to make the telecast. Oh my god. Yeah. And obviously film kids, film critics, film journalists, like, have been speaking up. They're like, hey, wait, this is a bad take. Like, I saw a tweet that was like, huh, well, it's a good thing that, like, sound has really never impacted a movie. I think I saw that. It was like, <laughs> oh, good thing. <laughs> it was like, good thing editing and sound never really impacted my, like, <laughs> viewing of a movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, also, like, just, just don't have a host. <laughs> I'd yeah. be fine to watch hostless Oscars with more categories. <laughs> yeah, like, I saw another tweet that was like, okay, like, I understand that this is to, like, try to appeal to people who don't normally watch the Oscars, but here is the thing. The people who are not watching the Oscars are never going to watch the Oscars. Yeah. Like, no matter what you do to it, like, they're not going to be, oh, wow, maybe I should watch. Like, people who are watching the Oscars are going to want to watch all of these awards. And again, it's for these types of awards, like, they have been fighting to be taken with as much yeah. prestige as those, like, quote-unquote, like, higher prestige categories, like your best director, best cinematography, like, the, like, the big ticket ones. Especially for sound, this really comes as, like, kind of a slap in the face. Because yeah. according to Mark Lanza, the president of Motion Picture Sound Editors, he said that last year, like, when they were talking about combining the two sound categories into one. Quote, the Academy made an explicit promise not to eliminate sound from the live broadcast if they agreed to the travesty of combining sound editing and sound mixing into one category. The Academy's... Oh my god! Yeah, the Academy's mission to, is to honor the craft of filmmaking in all its parts. Eliminating certain categories from the live broadcast degrades that mission. Also, I want to know the group of people they think they're getting that are just like... I was boycotting the Oscars because I hate editors. And now that they're gone, thank God, I'll turn it on. <laughs> well, it's more like now that they don't have to spend time giving out an award to those pesky editors, they can do more fun bits. Like have James Corden on. <laughs> So in 2019, they did a similar thing where they like announced plans of four categories would be like awarded during the night, but it would be during commercial breaks. That's so shitty. Then they would air taped replays, basically just being like earlier in the night, blah, 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 one for best sound or whatever it would have been. In 2019, they announced that everyone was like, hey, don't do this. <laughs> and the Academy reversed their decision. However, it does not sound like they're going to reverse this decision. It does not sound like it. Ha. <laughs> so the Academy leadership had a meeting with the Oscar nominees for Best Sound. And basically, those, you know, these Oscar nominated sound designers, sound editors were like, hey, this is terrible. This is like offensive. And they like, it was apparently a really contentious meeting. There was a lot of yelling. Yeah, as it should be. 
Also, like, their sound. Of course they're going to be loud. Of course there's going to be oh, yelling. Lynn's bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what the film kids are talking about. And honestly, rightfully so. We should be talking about how, yeah. like, and it's not just sound. Like, documentary, like, the shorts. All, like, all, the all these ones. awards are very important. And, like, to treat them as, like, not even important yes. enough to make it to the awards night is insane. Like, filmmaking is fucking hard. And all these people are so talented. I don't know what I would feel if, like, I was given an Oscar nomination and then told, hey, like, you're not going to make the the cut. You're, like, not an important Oscar. I would feel so bad. Yeah, I'd probably be, like, I mean, unsurprised that they don't respect me, but... But, like, I mean, the Academy's whole stance is that they do respect filmmaking. So, like, in the rest of the world, do fine. They? Like, <laughs> you're, like, a random person on the street. Yeah, they don't care that you're a documentary filmmaker. But, like, the Academy has made its point of, like... We're here to respect filmmaking. And they do shit like this. And then they don't. Yeah. They're like, actually, we care about ratings. You want money. I don't even know where you're seeing a film kid this week, but when you see them, encourage them to bully some people on Twitter. Or elsewhere. Just bully the people on the street. Regarding (laughs) this. Licorice Pizza. My shitty tweet summary is, who cares about an age gap when we can just run repeatedly through the streets of L.A.? Ugh, I care. (laughs) Mine is, a 25-year-old takes us through two hours of backstory to try and claim that she isn't grooming a 15-year-old boy. (laughs) This movie is so long, for what? So, Licorice Pizza was written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It was released in December 2021. So, as far as Oscar nominations go, it was nominated for three Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay. As far as, like, background, I don't have a lot. But I want to talk about the, like, inspiration of the characters that were based on real people. Starting with our boy Gary Valentine. So, Gary Valentine, who's played by Cooper Hoffman, the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman. And that's the guy in Phantom Thread, right? No, Daniel Day-Lewis? Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but he and Paul Thomas Anderson were very close. Okay. This is his son, and this is his feature-length debut, along with Alana's. Which is, like, wild, because I thought that Alana was, like, very good. I honestly thought both of them were very good. But so Gary was based off of Paul Thomas Paul Thomas Anderson's friend, Gary Getzman. Uh, okay, so not him. Yeah, you were like, it's based <laughs> on him? And I was like, nope. <laughs> Still, so, okay, I'll, I saw, like, one thing that was, like... It's real? Based on, like vague memories of his life. Yeah. Still annoyed. (laughs) Yeah. So Gary Getzman is a producer. He collaborates a lot with Tom Hanks. You can't make fan fiction movie about your friends that are still like alive. That's my take. (laughs) If I die, don't make a fan fiction movie about me, please. Absolutely not. Okay, but like it'd be worse if you could see it, right? (laughs) I mean, like, he specifically told him. Like, it wasn't like... Okay, if I said, Brooke, I'm making a fan fiction movie about you. Lindsay, if you were Paul Thomas Anderson, I wouldn't be your friend. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Going into this, I was like, this is a self-insert. He just wants to fuck Heim. All of them. (laughs) And that's why they're in this movie. And then then as we went on, I was like, is this a self-insert? Am I right? That was a joke. (laughs) So, it's a joke if I make a self-insert real. movie about you and, like, casting the hot people whose music videos I direct, like, 
feel like there's bigger issues. You just shouldn't be my friend. But yeah. <laughs> I'd want to have the self-respect to do that post your death. I think it'd be weirder to be like, oh, this girl died and then I wrote a movie about how much I wanted to fuck her. No, you're fucking the women I make music videos for. <laughs> oh, I am i don't get to be Alana in this? <laughs> no, I guess I'm the one writing and direct and directing fan fiction about you as right, Gary, right, right. I guess. <laughs> I guess I got confused because he also does know Alana. <laughs> yeah. So it's like fan so fiction about like, his two friends. <laughs> Yeah, it's like unrelated <laughs> other people. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but Gary was a former child actor. He was in the film Yours, Mine, and Ours, which was what they were referring to with the under one roof. He also was this like frequent, quote, hustler. He did have a waterbed company. He did have a pinball company. He did deliver a waterbed to John Peter's house, though reportedly not in the same manner (laughs) as it happened in the film. (laughs) Which leads me to John Peters, who is played by Bradley Cooper in Licorice Pizza. He is a real producer and former hairdresser. He did date Barbara Streisand, like, when the film took place, like, that would have been canonically, like, when he was dating Barbara. Paul Thomas Harrison did talk to John Peters before putting him in the film, and Peters was fine with it. His only stipulation was that Paul Thomas Anderson used his, quote, favorite pickup line. Oh, God. What was the line? This is from a Variety interview that Paul Thomas Anderson gave. The, like, interviewer asks, like, did you, like, tell John Peters about it? And he said, I called him and let him know that we would be telling the story, that he'd be a character in it, and he seemed perfectly excited and happy about it. He was very sweet and said, you can do whatever you'd like to do, but please just get my pickup line in there. And I said, what was your pickup line? And he said, I'd go to a girl and ask her if she'd like a peanut butter sandwich. And I said, did it work? And he said, yes, it worked. So he put that in. (laughs) When Paul Thomas Anderson was explaining this interview about, like, his inspiration and, like, talking to his friend Gary, he didn't, like, specifically say Gary's full name. He was just like, oh, like, I had a friend. Like, he appeared in the movie Yours, Mine, and Ours. He was, like, he was going to New York for publicity and he needed a chaperone, so he ended up hiring a burlesque dancer who, like, lived in his neighborhood to take him. And so the interviewer was like, is that your friend Gary Getzman, the producer and business partner of Tom Hanks? Paul Thomas Anderson responds, I can't remember at this point if I'm trying to pretend that it's not Gary's story, but fuck it, it's him. (laughs) Which I think is so good. Just him, like, like, everyone knows who, like, that's supposed to be. He's just like, yeah, yeah, fuck it, it's him. (laughs) Yeah. It would be like... Like, in the all too well, like, when Dylan O'Brien was like, who? Like, my character's name was whatever, or whatever he said his character's name was. He was like, you think I'm Jake Gyllenhaal? My name's Brandon. (laughs) Yeah, but him being like, no, you're right, I am Jake Gyllenhaal. (laughs) I don't remember if I'm pretending that I'm not. (laughs) I I can't remember at this point if I'm allowed to acknowledge that I'm Jake Gyllenhaal, but fuck it, yeah, it's him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the next person based off a real person is Jack Holden, which is Sean Penn's character, that, like, actor who gets on the motorcycle and does the stunt. That wasn't Gary's dad, right? And I'm like, I don't think that it is. That'd be a bold move of Alana if it were. And then I was like, I don't think it's him, but I can't tell for sure. <laughs> they never introduced Gary's dad. Oh, then who was the guy that owned the restaurants? That was, like, his client. But also, you think those two people are the same? 
<laughs> yeah. So, okay, not only do you think that was his dad, but also you can't tell the difference between him and Sean Penn. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Older white men is really not for you. You should get out of politics. <laughs> Truly. Jack Holden is based off of William Holden, who is an actor. So it's just kind of like this weird, like, we're going to subtly change the name, but like very much it's the same dude. <laughs> Speaking of subtly changing the name, but it's the same dude, is Lucy Doolittle. That's who uh, Gary starred in in Under One Roof. This is based off of Lucille Ball. Again, Gary Getzman was in Yours, Mine, and Ours with Lucille Ball. So Under One Roof is your Yours, Mine, and Ours, and like... Lucy Doolittle is Lucy Bo- Lucille Ball. I didn't realize that adults wrote fan fiction about their friends. Like, I definitely <laughs> did that in like mid- like when I was like fourteen. I never now wrote fan fiction d- about not my friends. Not that I like want to do anything in the shoes of Paul Thomas Anderson, but now that I know that that's like an option, and you're like praised for it, truly opening some doors. <laughs> so the next person is. Joel Wax, who's played by Benny Safdie, who directed Uncut Gems, or Uncut Gems. <laughs> so yeah, Joel Wax is a real dude. By that point in the movie, I was like, I don't know where we're going. Where we're going. <laughs> I don't question. know why this is added, or where we're going with it, but might as well. <laughs> yeah. And it was a real thing that he was closeted. He would remain closeted until, like, the late 90s. There, like, are other people that were, like, based, like, the talent act- agent was based on a real agent. Like, the radio guy was a real radio person. There was just a lot of, like, cameos and, like, references to real people. Because, yeah, this yeah. is just fan was fiction. Alana the only one not based on a historical person? She was just based on herself written into this time? Um, I mean, like, all of the other kids. Okay. And like this Alana's, is just like, time fan fiction yeah. set in the seventies. Yeah, because I mean, like, based it's, on real people. Yeah, it's like Haim, <laughs> like Alana, her sisters, her parents are playing her parents. That's kind of all the background I have. I do want to do what I'm calling a section of insane takes. These are not all from Paul Thomas Anderson, but like a lot of them are. Uh, Loving insane takes. <laughs> so insane take number one is his inspiration of like why he wanted to write this film. Which is... Because he thinks the Heim sisters are hot. No. It is he's worse nostalgic. than that. Oh, no. Again, in an interview with Variety, he, like, someone asked, like, what inspired this? And he said, a very long time ago, I was walking around my neighborhood and I passed Portola Middle School. It was picture day <gasps> and I saw no. this very energetic teenager flirting with this girl who was taking pictures. It was instantly a good premise. What happens if you have a kid invite... <laughs> An older woman to dinner, and what if a girl, against her better judgment, says yes? No. So not only was it not high school, it was middle school. No. As a 25-year-old, I want to die. <laughs> I hope Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't have kids. Does he, he have kids? He has four kids. They were in this movie. <laughs> so, they're, so they're children. He's going to, like, he's going to be like, oh, I found a date for you for, oh. like, your high school dance, and he's going to bring home a 30-year-old man. No, I need you to put those thoughts back in your head. They're not my thoughts. He already did it. He already told the world it's okay. (laughs) In his eyes. The next insane take, which was that he didn't understand the potential racism. First, it does... My favorite take from this interview is, like, the interviewer's, like, asking him, like, oh, like, who would you want to work with? Like, you've worked with so many, like, major stars. Like, who's next on your list? 
Like, because he talks about, like, having this list. He, like, refers to actors as it's like being in the library and looking at all these beautiful books on the shelf and you realize there's just not enough time to get to it all. They're people. They're people. <laughs> They're people, Paul. And so, like, the interviewer was like, oh, like, who's on the top of your list? And he's like, oh, Tiffany, like, referring to Tiffany Haddish, she would be nice. And then I have a Denzel Washington fascination at the moment, which, again, feels weird. Yeah. And then the interview was like, oh, and so, like, how do you feel about the complaints that have been made about the anti-Asian character played by John Michael Higgins, who is not Sean Penn, <laughs> who speaks in an a, inoffensive fake Asian accent? And he responds, it's kind of like, huh? I don't know if it's a huh with a dot, dot, dot. It's funny because it's hard for me to relate to. I don't know. I'm lost when it comes to that. To me, I'm not sure what they, you know, what is the problem? The problem is that he was an idiot saying, saying stupid shit. What do you think? And the interviewer is like, well, the problem is that his racism could give people permission to laugh at the stereotype rather than at his stupidity. And he responds, right, well, I don't know, maybe that's a possibility. I'm certainly capable of missing the mark, but on the other hand, I guess I'm not sure how to separate what my intentions were from how they landed. What? Yeah. Okay. First of all, what do you mean you don't get it? Second of all, I understand, like, you being like, that's how people at the time would act. I, I will get to that. That's how people act today. But if you hire, if if literally the only Asian actor that you hire is for the purpose of making a racist joke, then like you are also part of the problem. Yep. Like it's not like you had any non-white characters in that movie, let alone any Asian characters. Who were allowed to be characters, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's it's a bad take. It's a bad take, Paul. So now on to other wild takes on the internet. My next insane take stuff is, or like the age gap is of course on Reddit where the worst of the internet lives. So like someone like posted a thread being like, I don't understand why they had to have such a big age gap. Like, I don't know why it couldn't have been like 15 and 18. Like that still would have been like yeah. wildly in different places of their lives, but like less uncomfortable. Like Fair. then they're like, I watch it and I just couldn't appreciate the film because all I could think was Alana is a predator. Yeah. And the top comment. Oh no. Is Buddy. The tension between their ages is what makes the movie interesting. <gasps> insane. And the is next it? is... <laughs> Y'all are prudes. Again, insane. The world is full of predators. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not 15 anymore. Yeah. I, like, did not know that, like, they were 25 and 15 before going into watching this. I didn't either. And then I started and watching and I, I was like... all I could think about. The entire movie. Literally every time. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the other, like, defense of, like, their age gap is, like, oh, it was the 70s. That's just how things were. And that's the same defense for, like, the racism is, like... Racism was just like that back then. Like, to not include it would to be not true to the time period. Which, you cannot hide behind the guise of, like, oh, it's the 70s when you're making it in 2020. Yeah. And even if you're choosing to do it to reflect the time, if you're not doing the steps to be, like, I'm aware of this, like, I'm aware of this age gap, I don't condone it, like, then you're just doing it. Yeah. Like, you're not making a statement, you're just continuing on like harmful practices but speaking of like of the time there is a reviewer and this is another insane take but like in a much funnier way this like reviewer they're like yeah i was watching it and all i could think was they just don't make movies like this anymore quite literally they do this, bro. Is <laughs> this was made last year <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a movie made now and you're you're sitting there watching and thinking oh they don't make movies like this 
like nominated for best picture like <laughs> quite, quite literally possibly going to be like the movie of the year tm <laughs> they could not make a movie more now than this movie <laughs> anyway to get into this movie now that we've ranted about it <laughs> <laughs> so, we open in 1973 at high school where 15-year-old Gary Valentine prepares her picture day. Alana's working as, like, a photographer assistant. He starts talking to her, and she's kind of immediately like, hey, you are a child, stop talking to me as if you are not a child. And he pulls, like, the classic decom move and is like, I'm not a child, I'm 15! <laughs> and, like, invites Alana to dinner because he goes to the tail o the cock every night. But so he invites her to dinner and she's just like, no, I'm not going to go. He's like, well, I'm going to be there regardless. So if you want to come, like, I'll be there. And she goes because she's a bad person. She also, like, goes to her coworker and, like, tells her about it. And just, like, conceptually, if I was, like, another 25-year-old working and saw one of my coworkers going to high schools to, like, pick people up, I do not know what I would do. Uh, tell somebody. Yeah, I'd be like, <laughs> they should not work with kids. Yeah, like, because it's not even, like, one of those things where it's, like, the pretty little liars effect where, like, oh, they met in a it's bar. like, they didn't know. And she, they didn't know she was in high school. Like, you met at high school. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was there for a picture day. You arguably knew what year of high school he was in. She goes to dinner and, like, sits next to him and is just like, this isn't a date, but I'm here. And also, he, like, stares at her really aggressively and then breathes really aggressively. And she's just like, please stop that. He doesn't know how to behave because he's 15. Yeah, she also seems annoyed with him the whole time. The whole time. And I'm like, you don't need to be there. He's a child. So she... Gives him her number and then goes home and, like, at home her dad is like, where the hell have you been? And she's like, I was getting dinner with Lisa because she knows what she is doing is wrong. She can't be like, oh, I was out on a date with a 15-year-old because <laughs> wrong. Because, ah! <laughs> he, like, wrote this part with Alana in mind, right? Yes, he did. Okay. If, if someone gave me this and was like, I wrote this for you... I mean, in general, so if mad. anyone wrote a script. <laughs> okay, but if someone's like, I wrote this character with you in mind, and they were a predator, I don't think I'd act in it. Yeah, that's fair. I'd be like, excuse me. So then Gary's mom, like, apologizes to Gary and tells him that, like, he's not able to go to New York on the press tour because she has to go to Vegas for work and he can't go without a chaperone because he is 15. So he calls Alana, who, again, is old enough to be his chaperone. Ugh. Alana goes to New York and, like, on the plane meets Lance, who's Gary's co-star. Gary gets weird and territorial about Alana, and Lance does not care and still asks her out. Good for Lance. Back in LA, Gary sees Alana and Lance on a date and, like, gets real sad and just, like, asks his mom if they can have their burgers at home. That's such, a, like, a 15-year-old response. Like, I was like... I know. It's just, like, him being, like, <laughs> seeing this girl that he likes on a date and then being like, can we go home? Like, I was just like, oh, you sweet little child. You are 15. Just go be free. <laughs> Alana continues to date Lance, brings him home, but then it turns out he's an atheist and not actually Jewish. It all kind of goes to shit. And truly, I did not see both movies having 
that like plot line. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like, why are and they stop seeing each other. Gary then decides to start a waterbed company and he goes to the teenage fair to attempt to sell them. But Alana's also at because of course she is. Yeah, Alana <laughs> is there like helping someone else sell earrings and so that she can be around teens. And she runs into Gary and then Gary is arrested under suspicion of murder. I was like, oh cool, this is where the plot takes off. No. <laughs> 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 on a dress. It's only there so we can see her running. Yeah. Like, I was also like, I know that there's no reason to add this because it's not a 70s song, but like, I was just waiting for a spot that no body, no crime could be in this movie. And that's the spot. That's the spot. <laughs> but yeah, Alana runs to the police station and Gary is released like two seconds later because they got the wrong guy and then they run off together. There is so much running in this movie. <laughs> Alana then goes to work for Gary, which they have rebranded from Soggy Bottom to Fat Bernie's. Fat Bernie's is pretty successful. They're like going on radio, like having radio ads. They're selling a lot of mattresses, waterbeds. I don't know if you can call it a mattress. <laughs> Gary then takes Alana to his agent to like get her into acting and before they go in he's like oh you need to say yes to whatever the agent asks like if she asks if you can do something just say yes so like the agent's asking her if she speaks languages writes horse blah 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 and then says like would you appear topless and Alana's like yes and Gary corrects her and she's like no after in the car Gary like has a teenage meltdown and is like yelling at Alana being like you're gonna show your boobs to everyone but me like if she shows her boobs on a film, you could still see them. Yeah, like that's quite literally how she can that works. Lo- legally show her boobs in a film. That should be a red flag in and of itself. Yeah, but Alana does not take any kind of like logical sense and is like, "Oh, he wants to see my boobs. Let me show him," and shows him her boobs. Mm. Gary then like asks if he can touch, and Alana slaps him. Weird line you have, Alana. Uh, very weird. While working the phones, like trying to like telemarket sell these waterbeds gary tells alana to be more sexy which and then she like doesn't have a problem with that so she basically like uh, goes too far and is like almost to the point of like insinuating like phone sex but like not really it's just like weird and creepy and it's just like oh i'll install it myself and lay in it and like my favorite part is the headboard and then hangs up and gary is like we don't even have fucking headboards (laughs) (laughs) And Alana's like, well, we should. Why don't we have headboards? We can't just sell just the water bed. We should sell a whole bed. And so they open a storefront and Alana wears a bikini seemingly under Gary's like asking, but like no other people there are wearing it. It's very weird. Gary's classmate comes to the like grand opening and Gary starts talking to her and Alana gets jealous because how dare he have relationships that's not with her. Why are we supposed to root for them? The whole, I don't, I don't get it. But like Alana walks off. And, like, the classmate is just like, is that your girlfriend? And Gary's like, no, she used to be my babysitter. Uh. So then, like, it's now, like, the after-hour party of the grand opening, which apparently is a thing, and, like, Gary's brother's band is playing. And Alana sees Gary and the classmate go outside, so she, like, follows them out and, like, sees them hooking up and watches because she's horrendous. Alana then goes to audition for the role of Rainbow in a film that stars Jack Holden. Afterwards, Jack and Alana go and get drinks at the tail of the cock, where Gary shows up, like, on a double date, it looks like, like, for his With usual With his dinner. nine-year-old brother? Yeah, it was very weird. <laughs> and, like, when he gets there, the maitre d' is like, hey, man, 
you should maybe think about getting it to go because everyone there is aware that Alana and him are dating. Like, they're, like, aware of their relationship to the point where her being there with another guy, they know they should warn Gary. And yet, they're like, ah, it's fine. He's 15. He's old enough for this. Alana and Gary, like, spot each other across the room. Gary is like, I can order martinis. Like, I I could do that. And, like, Jack, meanwhile, has called over Rex Blau, who, like, is a good buddy, quote-unquote, And then convinces Jack to, like, recreate one of his motorcycle stunts with Alana on the back acting like Grace Kelly. And they, like, go out to the golf course. They, like, set fire to things. Like, and people working there are like, yeah, Yeah, that's fine. Get it. (laughs) I didn't get a lot of this. Every new new thing that was added, I was like, oh, we're going somewhere with this. No, I will say, and we'll get to this when I wrap up my thoughts with this movie, is Paul Thomas Anderson makes pretty movies. And, like, this movie is very pretty. It's well lit. Like, the characters, like, they have, like, this, like, really nice saturation to them. Yeah. And, like, this movie has, like, a very dreamlike quality. Like, this, like, very floaty, very immersive quality. And it's, like, very vignette-y. Much like Phantom Thread and a lot of his other movies. Like, it's very pretty. But as soon as, like, you actually, like, look past just surface level of, like, what you're looking at to, like, what's happening, it's like, oh, this is terrible. This is bad. And I don't know why he does that. (laughs) Like, why can't he just make a good and pretty movie? It was, like, well-paced, and I like the dialogue, and I like the way it looked, and, like, I enjoy watching it if I don't think yeah, about it. Yeah, if I, like, if don't... I don't think about anything that's happening. But then I think about it, and then I have problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't just not think. Like, I have anxiety. I have to think. <laughs> Jack, like, gears up to take this jump, and Alana just, like, falls off the back before he even starts, but, like, he makes the jump successfully, and Gary runs after her to check if she's okay and they like leave together i feel like they run around some more because it's literally all they do in this movie and then they end up like on the waterbed and like they touch pinkies so then as the gas crisis sweeps the country the waterbed company fails because they're made of vinyl and vinyl is made from oil they're making one last delivery to john peter's house to like install the last waterbed and they arrive incredibly late because the truck was out of gas and John Peters is like okay well like I normally wouldn't do this but I need to leave like I have to go to the movies with Barbara Streisand it's just like I don't I don't want to leave you guys here alone but like I'm going to because I need to go but if you damage the house like I'm going to murder you I'm going to murder your family in front of you like do you have a brother I will murder him in front of you and so they like start installing the bed and then Gary's like actually wait a minute what the fuck <laughs> that's fucked up <laughs> And so they decide to flood the house. So they get in the truck, they're driving down, and then they're waved down by John Peters, whose car ran out of gas, so they have to drive him to the gas station. I very much did enjoy this entire bit and the the, the tension behind it. <laughs> <laughs> like, when they, like, find John Peters' car and, like, they're, like, easing this moving truck, which the idea of driving a moving truck down, like, any of the canyon roads, like, those stressed me out in oh my, my God. little- without gas, backwards- <laughs> Which, by the way, Alana, like, she, that was her driving. I don't think they were going <gasps> the speed that they were, but, like, she actually, like, that, she did that stunt herself. Oh, my God. Wild. <laughs> so, John Peters attacks a guy and just, like, takes the hose and then holds up a lighter and is like, this is mine now. This is mine. Incredible energy. Alana and Gary, like, leave John Peters at the gas station. And then they, like, drive back up the hill and they, like, get to Peter's car. Gary hops out and, like, goes fully deranged because how dare he hit on his 
25-year-old girlfriend. And meanwhile, Lana has realized that they themselves have run out of gas and they're like, oh shit, this is real bad. Like, we cannot be trapped here after he absolutely destroyed John Peter's car. So they like roll the truck backwards down the hill, make an insane turn and like should not have survived, but they do. And Alana's like sitting on the curb and like looks over and sees Gary and with his friends making like 15 year old boy jokes of like jerking off the gas canister and like humping it. And like, yeah, they're 15 year old boys. That's what they're gonna do. And she like finally realizes, oh shit, this is a 15 year old boy. So she calls up her friend from high school and is like, hey, are you still working with Joel Wax? Brian's like, yeah, I am. And she's like, cool, I'm gonna volunteer. So she starts working for him. She still like is hanging out with Gary because Gary helps to film like some like TV spots and like interviews. In one of those like interview filming, Gary learns that pinball will soon be legalized in the San Fernando Valley. The concept that pinball was illegal is so funny to me. I agree. <laughs> like, <laughs> incredibly like it, funny. Like, it's not even gambling. It's pinball. It's pinball. <laughs> Mario Kart is illegal. <laughs> so Gary then obviously uses that knowledge to decide to open an arcade and, like, starts calling up people trying to buy pinball machines, which, like, I don't know, how did he get numbers so fast? Like, who is he? Is that in the yeah. yellow pages? Like He just has connections. Alana then starts yelling at him for, like, immediately asking about pinball machine. Is just like, I'm here trying to do something good and you're just, like, trying to open an arcade. And so they get into a fight and Gary goes to leave and Alana's, like, yelling at him. And just like, if you leave, like, I'm never going to talk to you again. And he leaves. And yet the movie is not over. <laughs> Truly, like, when she did that, I was like, okay, cool. Like, maybe they'll both heal from this toxic, bad relationship and, like, she'll learn, like, to have a healthy relationship with people her age and she'll be have growth. I feel though. like I would have been okay with that. I would have been like, they really got me in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's the grand opening of the arcade. Alana and Brian are, like, closing up and locking up the office. And, like, she and Brian almost have, like, a moment. But, of course, the phone rings. And it's Joel, like, inviting her out to drinks, like, right then. So then she, like, lies to Brian. And is like, oh, Joel forgot his wallet. Like, I have to go give it to him. And Brian is just like, oh, he's never gonna fucking win. Like, (laughs) he'll never do it. Very, very, like, I don't know if he's the campaign manager, but, like, very campaign manager vibes. (laughs) Just being like, my candidate's a fucking moron. God help us. Yeah. When can I move on to bigger and better races? <laughs> and like Brian is like, oh, I'll go with you. And she's like, no, no, no. You, you you stay here. You cannot do that. Absolutely not. Like, I'll go. And then runs out. Like, why is she always running? <laughs> but she goes to the restaurant and doesn't find Joel alone. She finds him with Matthew. And clearly Joel is gay and Matthew is his partner. And Joel then tells Alana, pretend to be Matthew's girlfriend and that like, you're going to take your boyfriend home. And Matthew is just like, will you be coming? And Joel's like, no. So Alana takes Matthew home. And, like, Matthew asks her if she has a boyfriend, to which she says yes and no. Again, problematic. You've spent this whole movie being like, we're not dating. Obviously, when did that change? And, like, Matthew says something like, oh, like, is he, like, a little shit? And Alana's like, yeah, he is. He's 15. he's 15. That is literally his whole personality. But Matthew, like, gets upset and Alana hugs him. Meanwhile, Gary, like, dresses up in a very fancy suit for his arcade opening. Like, a very fancy 70s suit. Like, it's, like, a white suit with a pink undershirt but like he's dressed up like in the hopes of like winning alana back she's gonna go because he told her sisters about the opening and he's like looking around for her and like there's like 
aggressive dudes like beating up the pinball machines and i was like oh is this why they were illegal like people just can't play like <laughs> chill <laughs> like like the dude is like if you guys can't play pinball responsibly no pinball <laughs> <laughs> he like sees alana's sisters and like go up to them is like oh is she coming and they're like you know where she works. Which, again, why are they supporting of this relationship? <laughs> but he goes to the office, and even though it's, like, pitch black and clearly no one's there, he's, like, banging on the windows. And then Alana goes to the arcade looking for Gary, and they're like, he's not here, he left. She Then she goes to tail of the cock because we have to go back one more time, and the maitre d' is like, he's not here. And so then they run... Because, of course, they do. All they do in this movie is run. (laughs) And they, like, reunite. And they, like, go into the arcade where Gary introduces her as Mrs. Alana Valentine. (laughs) To which she's like, you're an idiot. And then they kiss. (laughs) And she says that she loves him. (laughs) Yeah. Then they, again, go running some more because they hadn't done enough running in this movie. And, like, Alana's like, I love you. And that's it. And that is Licorice Pizza. Adventureland. My tweet is there's a mass resignation from a local amusement park, not because of the horrible pay or working conditions, but because of a series of unrequited work crushes. (laughs) Mine is a summer job impacts a man's life forever. Oh, wait. I mean a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. This movie was written and directed by Greg Matola and released in 2009. So the amusement park, which they like filmed it at an amusement park called Kennywood, which is a historic amusement park in Pennsylvania and was like altered to like look run down and like much trashier than it actually is. But it was based on an amusement park called Adventureland in upstate New York where Notola worked in the 80s. So I guess that's a that's his self-insert yeah. into the movie. <laughs> it's his own <laughs> Similarly. I don't know what you took to pair these, but... <laughs> <laughs> I went off of the vibe. But okay, the real reason why I paired this... I mean, like, I was like, ah, the, like, I watched the trailer for Licorice Pizza and I read the one-sentence Google summary and was like, okay, like, what can I pair with that? And I was like, ah... Adventureland seems to have that similar vibe, but really, I knew that I would be personally upset watching Licorice Pizza, so I wanted to have a little Kristen Stewart as a treat. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Because I didn't like this movie, but I love Kristen Stewart. Yeah. (laughs) I tried to watch this before because Kristen Stewart was in it, and I, like, got, like, 30 minutes in, and I was just like, I'm bored and I'm done. Like, I don't I don't have the attention span to finish this movie right now. But that was when I was in, like, high school. And then I was like, okay, that was probably just me, like, exaggerating. And then, like, 30 minutes in, I was like, I get it. I get what I did. <laughs> so one fun fact that I just found on the Wikipedia page, so I have nothing to prove with it, but it just made me laugh, was that, like, this movie takes place, like, during the summer, obviously, at, like, a theme park with, like, Jesse Eisenberg's, like, summer job. But, like, it was shot in the winter in Pittsburgh. The, like, crew had to very often, like, hide snowfall. And, like, sometimes they did, like, indoor takes and the extras were paid to, like, stand outside the surrounding windows and doors to block the falling snow (laughs) behind the actors, which I think is so funny. (laughs) The High Times, which is, like, a weed online magazine, apparently has its own, like, yearly awards for, like... TV and movies. So Kristen Stewart won the best stoner slash stonette, which God, very 2009 of them, for her portrayal Why of this movie. Why is stoner gendered? <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's also funny because this article opened with, quote, Though a blizzard of great pop films were released in 2008, the following year, unfortunately, witnessed a major downturn in the genre. And then was like, TV was our only saving grace. So it's like, Kristen Stewart, we picked you, but we also kind of had to. (laughs) Equally, Adventureland won as the best stoner movie for, quote, cramming weed into any and every scene possible, which like I didn't think about while watching this movie. Like all I thought about was like, why does no one have weed but Jesse Eisenberg? Yeah. Like why is everyone (laughs) going to him for a joint? Like he can't be the only person in this town. And then I was like, oh, I guess this does happen a lot. Like I never thought about it outside of like, why him? Before this movie, like, Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart were also, like, relatively unknown, which I think is funny. Jesse Eisenberg was one of the leads in, like, one other movie that, like, I'd never heard of. Maybe it's a more popular movie, but he was in, like, one other thing. And this was filmed before Twilight. So, like... Incredible. I will also say that Roger Ebert had the audacity to write, What surprised me was how much I admired Kristen Stewart, who in Twilight was playing below her pay grade. Here is an actress ready to do important things. Together and with others, she and Eisenberg make Adventureland more real and and more touching than it may sound. Which also, like, fuck everybody that says Kristen Stewart was awful. Twilight was amazing. (laughs) She did what she could, and she was great. Yeah, I, like... (laughs) Twilight being what it is is not on Kristen Stewart or Rob Pattinson. Like, but also, like, if you look at Kristen Stewart's, like, resume, like, she has so many incredible roles. But also, my toxic trait is seeing Kristen Stewart in any movie and then immediately deciding that I need that haircut. <laughs> like, it happened with Happiest Season. I was so close to getting an undercut because of that. And then... After watching Adventureland, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to go cut my hair like that. And now I'm afraid to watch Spencer. (laughs) Cut your hair like that. I don't think I could pull that off, but I know I would desperately think I could. (laughs) Or, like, desperately want to if I watch it. Like, I don't know, but it won't be good. Just do the happiest season hair. Also, like, if anyone's read Twilight, that's what Bella was. Like, Kristen Stewart did a great job. (laughs) Okay, the people who are making fun of Twilight are not the people who are reading Twilight. Fair. Regardless, it was comedic gold, and you can fight me. (laughs) Yeah. So in a vaguely similar vibe to the beginning of The Social Network, Jesse Eisenberg, aka James, stares weirdly and longingly at a girl, and then really dramatically is like, do you want to get out of here? Weird that you and me just, like, happen to get together at the end of this semester. To which said person that he's talking to promptly ends their 11-day relationship, seemingly because he told her that he's a virgin, but I actually think it's because he is obsessive and weird. Yeah. I wrote in my notes, pause for Brooke, to be like, when you think girls break up with you because you're a nerd, just know that it's not because you're a nerd, it's because you're an asshole. Okay, see, the problem is, (laughs) is I can't quote things. (laughs) Like, they don't stick in my head. Like, I can be like, oh, there's that thing from that movie, but, like, the exact words will never come to me. Oh, I don't think those were the exact words. <laughs> James's friend more or less tells him to find a random depressed girl and get laid. And James says, well, maybe I'm just built differently and care about people, which is more or less the tone for the movie. James goes to an extremely fancy dinner with his parents where they tell him that his dad, they just said got a different job. I'm assuming it was implied got laid off so he can't go onto his like 
summer Europe gallivanting trip and has to get a job so he can save money to go to Columbia for grad school after the summer. His friend, who is Joel in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but there's another Joel in the movie, so like, don't let this confuse (laughs) you. I just don't know not Joel's movie name. (laughs) But he gives him a bag of joints and is like, at least you can pretend you're with me this summer. I'm gonna go to Europe. And he's supposed to come back and they're supposed to like move to New York together to, I think, I'm assuming both go to Columbia. So because James is a 25 year old who seemingly never had any sort of job, every single turns him down except for a nepotism hire from his childhood best friend slash neighbor at the local amusement park. I don't even know if that's AKA nepotism because it wasn't like, oh, Frito or whatever his name is told me to apply. Bill Hader asked zero questions. Okay, at that point, I assumed it was nepotism, and then I didn't edit back in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) A big deal is made, like, throughout the whole movie about James being on games, because he's a games guy, so he's working at games when the actual Joel walks James through all the games and how they're all rigged, and is like, children are exploited to make these prizes for $10 an hour, we can't just give them away for free. (laughs) So Kristen Stewart, a.k.a. M, befriends James and offers him a ride home. So Frigo, his awful neighbor who just, like, punches him in the balls constantly and wears a shirt with his own name on it. Ah, that 2009 humor. (laughs) Doesn't have to give him a ride home, but M is cool because she listens to rock and has a record player and James liked that she's aloof because she's Kristen Stewart so I don't know if that was like a stylistic choice or if it was just Kristen Stewart I like feel like this movie she is at like peak Kristen Stewart of like what people like base their Kristen Stewart impressions off of yeah and I'm like is that Kristen Stewart or is that just what she was asked to do yeah and she's just good at it is that just like the vibe (laughs) of this movie probably a little of both yeah But they both find out that they're going to school in New York City next summer because James wants to be a travel journalist where he like writes about the woes of like the real world, like Charles Dickens, who wrote a travel journal from like prisons and asylums. And just like imagining James trying to do that is like very weird to me. (laughs) I just like I'm being like, so why do you need to go to school for that? Because it felt like an attack. Like, especially grad school. Yeah. (laughs) And throws a party, and a bunch of the people from the amusement park are invited, and James gives them all joints, because that is his personality in this movie now, just having weed available. So Em and James go swimming, and she asks if he could be her new, like, weed hookup so she can make pot cookies. And then she's like, oh, have you had them? And James is like, I've had cookies, which is just, like, a really funny concept (laughs) because he's, like, 21. (laughs) Of just, like, not having cookies, period. (laughs) Everyone apparently goes home super early because Connell, aka Ryan Reynolds, who is a married, hot, older, not, like, old but like older than his 20s amusement park mechanic and musician who comes over to sleep with M. This movie is peak hot people privilege. Like if Ryan Reynolds' character wasn't hot instantly hideous of a person because a maintenance man who sleeps with the young girls while being married awful. Hate him. But oh Ryan Reynolds hot and can play guitar. (laughs) (laughs) And he also like lies to them saying that he like played in a band with Lou Reed even though he like clearly doesn't really know any of Lou Reed's music and it's, and he like doesn't explain the story to James it's just so like he can use it to like get the girls. young women can yeah and he's just like counting on but, them like specifically the 18 year old yeah, girls like, who like 
he's counting on them not knowing anything about Lou Reed, just be like, oh, that has to be somebody. Which, like, to be fair, yeah. I don't Same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, music bros out there. Well, like, 80s music bros. So, like, sorry, my dad. <laughs> It's okay. My dad doesn't listen to this podcast. If he eventually gets to this episode, I will be getting a text. Yeah. Yeah. My dad doesn't either. But my mom will tell my dad that I made this joke. But once she got Loki, she also stopped listening. So. (laughs) I want to clarify that it's like Loki, A, is your dog, but B, like your mom used to take walks to listen. And it's not just like, oh, there's someone else in your mom's life who's forcing her to not listen. (laughs) My, her dog is forcing her to not listen. Arguably, he is. Like, <laughs> if you don't pay attention to him at all times, he will get upset. Oh. Like, like my dad will, like, sit in a room with him, and, like, if my mom is not also there, he will go to wherever my mom is and whine and bark until she goes into that room, and, like, same with my dad. Oh. Like, he just needs everyone in the room with him. <laughs> I relate to Loki. <laughs> The next day is a big day because it is the day that everyone finds out that Lisa P is working there again, who's the, like, hot employee, despite the fact that Kristen Stewart is a main character, but I digress. Em and James go to a bar, not even, like, as a date, where James immediately and unprompted goes, I should tell you, I just had my heart broken, referring to his 11-day date. And Emma's like, oh, how was the sex? And James is like, yes, she was very sexy. And then dances around the fact that he's a virgin, such as M being like, oh, how many people have you been with? And James being like, oh, plenty of times I have had the potential to be with people. Horrendous. But also, even if you've never been on a date, you should know not to bring up heartbreaks. It's just so uncomfortable. Like, what is she supposed to do with that? But like, he's been on dates. Like, I'm sure his story that he told her was a lie, where he was like, I realized I didn't love this person. Then I went to break up with them the same day that she wanted to have sex with me. But like... I'm sure he's been on dates. He's just deranged. Yeah. (laughs) So then Connell comes into the bar with his wife. So Emma's upset and they leave. And James just stares at her in the car and seemingly plays the sad girl mixtape that he made her, which is both awkward and like weird vibes for a a fun car ride with the girl that you like. His vibes are just off the whole movie. So somehow it tracks. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) In order for James to continue to stare at her like a creep, he's like, can we go somewhere? So they go to a bridge because they're in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. So like, what else are they going to do? And yeah, the mall's closed, so. Yeah, <laughs> they they can go to a parking lot. They can walk around the mall or they can. Well, they're, they're 21. They can go to a different bar. Oh, <laughs> I forgot. They are adults. <laughs> they're not 15. They're not 15. This is true. <laughs> So Connell, who is seemingly jealous because he asked Em if she and James were on a date, is like, okay, well, I want to see you tonight and brings her home to his mom's house. Well, he can't bring which her is to like, his house because his wife's there. Duh. But like, where's his mom ever? It's like, it sounded like it was like a basement with a separate entrance. Because like Em okay. asks about it. She's like, what does your mom think you're doing when you come down here late at night? And then, like, I forget what exactly the line is, but I feel like I heard M asking if he still offs his wife. Because then she's like, oh, what's the sex like? And Connell gets mad and is like, don't be mean to her. I love her, which is a really funny line to draw. I think I completely interpreted that scene wrong. I thought he said, like, don't be mean to me. Like, I love you. Like, like, why? It was like, why are you being mean? I thought it was more like, yeah, we're having an affair, but, like, we don't need to talk about her when it's just us. That makes sense. 
<laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? Not us. The two people who just watched this movie. <laughs> Listen, that was earlier in the day. I had a whole train in between then. I had to watch a whole other, even angrier movie. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lisa's like, hey, James, I heard you have weed. Because as I said, that's his whole personality. And they share a joint on like some random, like not in use bumper cars that are like off to the side of the amusement park. And she asked James if he believes in God. And James is like, I believe in love, which, ugh. <laughs> But then Lisa's like, oh, I'm actually very high. And James is like, me too. And I have dinner with my parents. And then just like furiously devours a plate of pasta, which was just a funny scene. <laughs> so time progresses. Em and James get to know each other more. They watch fireworks on 4th of July. They make out in parking lots. And then they make out at Em's house where Em's parents come home. So James like specifically stands up to shake their Why hand. Why would he stand up? Why would he stand up? And, like, puts a very obvious pillow over his dick. Yeah. Which, like, he didn't have to stand up and shake their hand. You could have just said, you, I feel like it's better in that situation to be a little rude and not shake his hand than stand up with a pillow, like, in your cro- Sir, just give him a stop <laughs> nod from the couch. <laughs> or even shake their hand, but don't stand up. I don't know how he would have done that, because they were, like, standing behind the couch. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Just say hello. Just, just wave. Be like, hey, how's it going? Em, like, reveals how she and her stepmom don't get along because, like, her stepmom is superficial and then also had, like, a mental breakdown and either shaved her head or, like, lost her hair. I don't remember specifically. Her mom says something, like, annoying and Em makes, like, a very weird joke of, like, no one's fucked up that my mom was going through chemo and dying and lost all of her hair and then my dad started dating a bald woman and then the scene just, like, ends and I was like, oh... What a weird, what a weird thing we just did. Yep. They go to the club that Connell's wife works at because it's two for Tuesday. Joel is there with Sue, who's another person that works at the amusement park, and James and Em are there. But while Joel and Sue are making out for seemingly hours straight because it ends up being light out, like including Em like literally driving them home and they're still making out, James says that he thinks that she's amazing. And Em is like, well, I have shit going on in my life. So like, let's put a pin in that. Yeah. <laughs> and then she apologizes for that. And I'm like, Stop apologizing for expressing how you feel. Yeah. She has to apologize. James is the main character. Ugh. At the amusement park, Lisa says that she's going out with James to like avoid going out with like some douchey guy who invited her to see Judas Priest and then is like, no, I'm serious. Like I'm down to go out with you probably so she can just get another joint from him as the only person with weed in the entire town. <laughs> but she's like, I should date a nice guy for a change. And James is hesitant about it uh, because of M. But Connell's like, you have to go, man. She, I don't know if it was just go on a date with her because she's a virgin or go on a date with her because she's hot, but she's also a virgin. But you can see James is like, I'm a virgin too, look in his eyes. It's a weird theme of the movie that yeah. didn't need to be there. Absolutely not. It was the 2000s. They're obsessed with virginity, I guess. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sue tells Joel that they can't date because he's Jewish and her parents are Catholic and super strict. So M like comes storming out being like, you anti-Semitic prick. I bet you would like support the apartheid too, which is just like such a good... Like, <laughs> it was such a good scene. Yeah. James then tells, like, the, basically the entire park that he's going on a date. I mean, it's just two people, but, like, that's the entire park to the scope he of people that James talks to. Frito, Frito, what, I, I just want to call him Frito. 
I know that's Frigo. Not- you don't tell Fr- you don't tell this person that you hate. You absolutely hate this man. Obviously, gonna tell go everyone. Tell him. Like, <laughs> what is wrong with you? But he tells the entire park about his date with Lisa, including Frigo, who like shows up at the restaurant during their date. Which that was on James for being like, yeah, we're going to the Velvet Touch, which is a weird name for a fondue place. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> insane. <laughs> And also, fondue's a weird date choice. <laughs> I'd never agree to go to a first date to the Velvet Touch. Absolutely not. <laughs> a year after dating someone, I'd be like, we can go there as a joke. Yeah. James then, like, specifically asks her, is like, hey, can we not tell anyone about tonight? Which, again, another thing you don't fucking do on a first date. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, if someone said that to me, I'd get out of the car right then and there. Like, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, I'm going We can forget about it. Like, it's forgotten. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Lisa then tells James about how, like, they're just, like, talking about Connell, and she's like, yeah, like, he's a creep and cheats on his wife, and, like, the other year was having sex with, like, the 19-year-old, like, person that worked at the snack stand, like, in his mom's basement. Like, it's so creepy. They then, again, as the point of the date precedes them, smoke a joint, but Lisa doesn't care about James's, like, Charles Dickens monologue, and instead of indulging him asks him an unrelated question about boats so james gets upset and (laughs) drives her home and then they kiss and james like immediately goes for her boobs with like his face and lisa's like not now in front of my parents house but i will see you later and that's probably also why he likes them because she indulged his charles dickens monologue yeah she didn't cut him off so therefore she's perfect james supposedly feels guilty so he gets emma present which is the last couple of his joints so she can make the edibles that she wanted to make but he like gives her the bag and she's like oh nice a brown bag (laughs) i love jokes like that (laughs) so they eat the edibles at work so james is like still running the horse race game that he runs so he just talks about the horse's like semen the whole time (laughs) and how it ejaculated too much and that's why it's losing the race because it's tired in front of, like, these literal children playing the game. James, Joel, and M go to, like, the hat game where you, like, throw baseballs at, like, mannequins and knock off the hats that they're wearing. And Joel, like, goes in the rotation with the mannequins and wears a hat, which, like, the fact that no one can cuss him is beyond me. But, like, two <laughs> jock dudes come up to play the game and realize that the games are rigged because the hats are literally glued on. And they try and kill James and, like, the song, like, Breaking the Law plays in the background, which was just, like, a funny song choice. <laughs> And at the end of the night, all the coworkers are talking about it, and Joel, like, looks off longingly at his two friends who, like, leave to go make out in this area of, like, abandoned, broken parts of rides. M tells James that he is, quote, the coolest and cutest guy that she's ever met. Which, like, just the comparison of, like, literally at the beginning of the movie, he was applying to jobs with his SAT scores. He is not <laughs> the coolest guy you've ever met. <laughs> Joel quits, so James goes to visit him and is like, oh, is this because of Sue? Which I feel like also at that point happened, like, weeks ago, but I don't actually know the timeline of this movie. And Joel is like, no, like, I'm ugly and poor. People won't go out with me with all these yuppies around. And then tells James that he's being an asshole for not appreciating M and going on a date with Lisa P, which, fair. But also, to be fair, they weren't exclusive. Fair in the sense of, like, we should all drop everything for Kristen Stewart. Uh, yeah. He and, <laughs> he and M were in dating in this movie. There is no problem with going on a date with Lisa. <laughs> but if you have the chance to be near Kristen Stewart, go be near Kristen Stewart. I get it. Yes. <laughs> James is like, you're right, and then immediately tells Emma about his date, and he's like, I'm sorry, we didn't talk about being exclusive, and Emma's like, I know, we're not dating. Like, you don't (laughs) owe me things. Yeah. (laughs) 
And then James is like, but I want to owe you things. Imagine your coworker showing up on his off shift to be like, I want to owe you things. <laughs> I'd be like, cool, take my shift, bye. <laughs> and goes to sit outside Connell's house to tell him that she doesn't want to keep hating herself. So therefore she can't continue to have sex with him. And he's like, not here. Let's go to the park near my mom's house. So his wife can't see, but just like. Go park near my mom's house. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I write down words and then I try and make <laughs> I try and make sense of them after the fact when I go to edit through my notes. I was like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It doesn't. I was like, cool, a park. They're breaking up in neutral territory. I get it. How neutral is it if it's still near his mom's house? Like, close enough. <laughs> also, why does James know where his mom's house is? He, like... Connell's like mom calls him being like my house is gonna explode and then he brings James along because he's like James you have weed let's smoke a joint yeah right I forgot about that (laughs) it was so unimportant that I assumed it was unimportant but it clearly held the plot together (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile someone else at the amusement park tells James that he caught Em and Connell having sex in his car so James like tracks them down at Connell's mom's house to confront them. And Emma's like, first of all, literally, how did you find me here? And then like, they talk about the situation and James is like, wow, I'm an idiot. And Emma's like, you're not an idiot. I'm an idiot. And then James is like, yeah, you are. And then storms off, which is also very like 2000s. Yeah. Attack. <laughs> so James tells Lisa about Em and Connell, who then tells the entire park. So Em quits, like when people start like approaching her about it, and she quits by interrupting Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig, like gluing googly eyes onto bananas as prizes, which is amazing, and I want one so badly. <laughs> but when he realizes that Em has quit, James is like, "What the fuck, Lisa? Like you told everyone," and she was like, "Yeah, I kind of feel bad for Connell." And he's like, you feel bad for Connell? And she's like, yeah, Em is a homewrecker. And James was like, she's cheating on his wife. And Lisa's like, yeah, men can't help it. Ugh. James, now like racked with guilt, is drunk and gets into a car crash and wakes up in the driveway at his parents with a tree from the Frigos' like fancy bush in his car. So he has to spend the entirety of the money that he saved that summer, aka $1,000 on it. The idea that $1,000 would pay for a Columbia... <laughs> I'm sure it paid for more in the 80s, but not... Not Columbia and an apartment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the fact that he's like, I'm just gonna get, like, a job and, like, live in New York and save money for Columbia. I'm like, bro, you're not saving money. Absolutely You're just not. living. You're and barely that not. <laughs> so James's college frat friend, aka the one that gave him the bag of joints, comes back from Europe and is like, I'm a changed man. So my dad got me into Harvard Business School. So like, good luck in New York on your own. So James goes to New York with no money and no plan other than acknowledging that he's deferring from Columbia for a year where he somehow finds M's car in the city. Insane. But she's like, I can't see you. Like, I was a version of myself that I don't like this past year. And I don't want to be reminded of that. But James convinces her out of it. And... She brings him to his apartment and they make out and M takes off her shirt and James says, are we doing this? And M says, I think so, which is a bad conversation, <laughs> but he loses his virginity, I guess, the point of the movie. And that is Adventureland. <laughs> the true point of this movie was Kristen Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Lindsay. Yeah. What should you like more? Okay. 
I don't want to watch either of these again. That's a lie. I'd watch Kristen but, Stewart. I was going to say, but because Kristen Stewart's in one, <laughs> I will consume a Kristen Stewart movie again. So for that reason, Adventureland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I knew going into this that I don't like Paul Thomas Anderson, that he is not the filmmaker for me. Again, I can sit here. I will not lie. Like, his films are very pretty. They are very aesthetic. Like, the cinematography was great. The lighting was incredible. The shots, great. Like, the feeling, the aesthetics, great. Like, it was a very immersive film. Like, I'm sure the actual directing was also, like, very great. Like, I thought that everyone did a great job. Yeah, like, I thought (laughs) Cooper and Alana, like, they did incredible. And the fact that they're such young actors, I think Paul Thomas Anderson did a really great job with them. That being said, the actual plot of this movie can go fuck right off. (laughs) I, like, really, like, knowing that I dislike Paul Thomas Anderson, I, like, went into this being, like, I'm gonna have, like, I was like, this is gonna be a good movie, and I'm gonna have to, like, bite my tongue and acknowledge that, and I don't know why I so viscerally went into that thinking that and was like, oh, no. (laughs) Like, from the beginning, I was like, oh, no, and then that just stayed (laughs) constant theme. (laughs) Especially when I was like, I don't really like Adventureland either. So I was like, oh no, this Paul Thomas Anderson movie is going to have to be better. (laughs) It is not. It didn't have Kristen Stewart. It didn't have Kristen Stewart. So yeah, I will happily delete Licorice Pizza from the universe. Do I ever really want to rewatch Adventureland? No, not really. There's better Kristen Stewart films out there. (laughs) I'll rewatch Twilight instead. Oh my God. I like regularly rewatch Twilight. (laughs) Well, that does it for this episode. If you liked it, share it with someone that calls out your friends that try to fucking groom people. No, <laughs> stopping friends with those people. What? No, the people that call them out. Oh, the oh, people oh. that are like the pe- your friends that like hold the problematic people that are like associated with their life that hold them accountable. Share it with them so they can also get angry at this movie. <laughs> If you're friends with, if you're friends with, like, 20-something-year-olds that try and date teenagers, don't be friends with them. Uh, don't listen to this podcast. Yeah. We don't Be friends with people it. that call them out. Yeah. <laughs> um, or share it with people who just like Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Or share it with people who, like, you are friends with from, like, your random shitty summer job when you were a teen. Yeah. Or follow us on social media. We are at Film Squids Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or visit our website at filmkidsgiantsquids.com. Film Kids Giant Squids is produced and hosted by Lindsay Buttle and Brooke Hoppy. Intro music by the band Polly Action. Transition music is The Beavers by Stephen O'Brien. Editing by Brooke Hoppy. Until next time, kids. 